Bibles this morning to first the 37th Psalm. Psalms 37. Kind of hold your place there. And then we want Psalm 25. So we want the 37th Psalm and the 25th Psalm. We're going to look at some verses out of each of these. We'll look at Psalm 37 first. We'll look at the first 20 verses. I want you to follow along with me as I read. It's a psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace." The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, and the smoke shall they consume away." Now I'll go over the 25th Psalm. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14 there. Again, a Psalm of David, verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. And let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this blessed book, these precious psalms. Thank you that you've given us the word of God, inerrant, infallible, inspired, preserved, 
just like you want us to have it. And we thank you that we can stand upon your word. We know that it will never change. You said forever thy word is settled in heaven. And we're thankful that we have a more sure word of prophecy. And Lord, now as we look to your word, might you bless our time together. Thank you for these folks who have come to church. And I pray that uh, you would reward them for their faithfulness and diligence by having them get a blessing from the service today. We're concerned that there may be somebody or a few folks here this morning who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And we pray for any that would be here in that situation that before they leave this place today, they will have opened their heart to Jesus Christ and been born again. And we pray for believers. Might our hearts be open and receptive to what you have for us. Speak to us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I pray it all and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this Privileged Information. Privileged Information. Have you ever found yourself envying the unsaved? Have you ever for a minute or two found yourself envying their affluence, their self-pleasing lifestyle, their live-for-today philosophy? No doubt most of us had, have had such moments. Most of us at one time or another in a moment of frustration have considered or thought about how we as believers seem to struggle along denying the flesh and doing our best to live for the Lord. Yet it seems like the unsaved are the ones who prosper materially and enjoy life here on earth. They live in the big palatial mansions. They drive the expensive cars. They wear the designer clothes. Their children attend the prestigious schools. And on and on we could go with how the wicked seem to prosper. And we find ourselves envying them in our weaker moments. In Psalm 37, 1 verses 1 through 20, the psalmist speaks to this very issue. He, reminds, he writes to remind God's people that we ought not envy the unsaved. And he gives the reasons for it. Because he says they shall be cut off. For the unsaved, this life, this time on earth, this pleasure that they experience is all they're ever going to have. This is all the heaven they're ever going to know. There's coming a day when the unsaved are going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire to suffer torment forever and ever. In Psalm 25, we find another reason we ought never envy the unsaved. There we read, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Here the psalmist reveals that there are some secret things that God's people know that the unsaved cannot know. When all things are considered, the unsaved ought to be envious of us, we who know the Lord and the blessings of being a child of God. This morning I want to share with you some things we who are saved know that the unsaved or the lost can never know. What are some things we know that the unsaved or the lost can never know? Well, the first thing is the joys of salvation. The joys of salvation. Listen, this can only be known by those who fear the Lord and believe on Him. The joys of salvation and, of course, the joy of our forgiveness for our sins. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, we're told that our sins were removed as far as from the east is to the west. That means infinitively, 
our sins have been removed from us. Uh, we're no longer burdened with carrying that burden. I thought about how uh, in, in Pilgrim's Progress, the traveler is pictured as carrying that big sack, and it's a picture of his sins. And when he comes to the Lord, that burden is lifted from him. And that's what happens to us when we come to Christ. That burden of our sin is lifted from us. Our sins are never to be remembered against us again. We're told God hides our, his, our sins behind his back and that he'll not remember our sins against us. We have the joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful thing to know that God will never remember a sin against us. That when we stand before him, we'll not have to answer for our many failures. Amen. But then there's another joy, the joy of knowing that heaven's our eternal destiny. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret of whether we're going to heaven or not. Listen, the Bible makes very clear he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you to believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life. It's a wonderful thing to know uh, when, I, when I die. By the way, we're all going to die. <clears throat> Amen. Nobody's going to live forever in this physical body. We're all going to die, but it's a wonderful thing to know that when I do close my eyes in death, I know where I'm going to wake up. I'm going to wake up in glory with my Lord. And it's not because of anything I've done or anything that I am. It's all because of him and what he did, and I've just accepted what he offered me. He offered me salvation, so rich and so free, and I accepted the offer. And from that day to this, I've understood that when I pass, I'll go right into the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus says, And I give unto them eternal life. And we have salvation uh, so rich and so sure. The unsaved, <coughs> excuse me, do not understand why saved folks seem to have a joy about them. But why shouldn't we have joy? We know our sins are forgiven. And we know heaven's going to be our eternal destiny. Uh, we know the joy of knowing that hell is not possible for us. Listen, every unsaved person is on their way to hell. Now, that's a, that's a hard truth, but it's a truth. Every unsaved person has no hope of heaven. But when we came to Christ, that was changed for us, and now there's no way we can die and go to hell if you're saved. Say amen. amen. That's a blessing. Think about the unsaved. They can never put their head on the pillow at night and know that if they died, they're going to be in heaven. They don't have that kind of an assurance. They don't know that hell is not a possibility for them. They don't have that kind of assurance, but we sure do. And then we have the joy of knowing that we're going to see our loved ones again. Listen, if you're saved, when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to see all those who died as saved people in heaven with you. I was thinking about that. I thought about, I'll see my mother. My mother trusted Christ late in her life, but she trusted the Lord. And so I believe I'll be able to see my mother, my in-laws, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law. I'm going to see them in heaven. I got a couple brothers that I believe uh, went to heaven when they died. I'm going to get to see them. And then I had a, a sister who was born, stillborn, and uh, I never did see her or know her. And I'll get to see my sister up there in heaven when I get there. That's a blessing. That's a joy that we can know one day we'll be reunited with folks who have gone on before us. We might miss them here and now for a little while, but one day we get to be together again. And we'll never have to leave each other's company uh, when we get to heaven. And thank the Lord for that. 
So some things saved folks know that lost folks cannot know. Number one, the joy of salvation. Number two, the peace of God. I'm sorry, I should have put that up. There we are, the peace of God. And uh, Jesus said, peace I leave with you in John 14, verse 20, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gives us peace. We have peace with God, and we have peace knowing that God is in control of our lives. We're not living on the, uh, happenstance. We don't live by chance. Uh, we live by design. We have confidence, and uh, we don't have to worry and fret about the direction of our life when we follow the Lord. I'm glad I don't have luck. Sometimes people will say, well, good luck. Now, if it's a saved person, I'll remind them I don't have luck. If it's an unsaved person, I'll just say thank you because they don't know any better. Amen? But I don't have luck. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I have one who's in charge of my life, and I try to follow him. And so I'm not living a happenstance-type existence. Our steps are ordered by the Lord, and we have peace knowing God can and will uh, guide us and direct us. Uh, look at Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And you know, when you have the Holy Spirit, you can, you can surrender to him and let him guide and direct in your life. So we have that peace knowing God is in control of my life. Uh, I wouldn't want to go back to being an unsaved man and know that I'm in control of my life. Because hmm? I know what I would do. I would mess it up. Yeah. Thank the Lord I can know he is. And then <clears throat> there's a second thing. We can, we can have peace knowing God can and will meet our every need. In Philippians 4, verse 19, the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, we have a God who can meet every need we ever have. Psalm 37 again, uh, verse 25. The psalmist says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have, have I not seen the righteous begging bread. The psalmist is saying God always takes care of his children. And I'm so very thankful we can have that peace of God knowing that my needs are going to be met. Now, the problem comes when we think God should, should meet all of our wants. No, God never promised to meet all of our wants. He did promise to meet all of our needs. And uh, sometimes that's basic needs. And we need to be thankful for that. We have peace knowing he's going to meet our needs. And... Uh, what if the, uh, you know, sometimes we worry and we fret about uh, our needs. And, and, well, what if the stock market crashes? Well, then the stock market crashes. God can still take care of his people even though the stock market crashes. Amen? Uh, what if I lose my job? Listen, God can still take care of you even if you lose your job. God's not bound by things. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says, and the wealth in every mine. God's not broken. He can take care of your needs if you just seek him. Well, preacher, what if the liberals get elected and our taxes go sky high? God can still take care of our needs. Amen? And we chuckle, but people fret about that. 
And sometimes it's difficult when you're struggling to pay your taxes, and, uh, uh, but God can take care of the need even then. Listen, we have peace knowing nothing can separate us from the love of God. I love Romans chapter 8. Go over there for a minute. Romans chapter 8. Paul writing here, and he gives us assurance. Beginning in verse uh, 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, we can have peace, uh, peace with God knowing nothing can separate us from the love of God. Don't take this as license, but I want you to understand our sin cannot separate us from the love of God. Now, it can, it can hinder our relationship with God. Amen? Sometimes God will have to chasten us because of the sin in our life. Sometimes he won't hear our prayers because of sin in our life, but he never stops loving us no matter what we do. Don't raise your hand, but think, think about this. How many of us have failed the Lord in one way or another? Aren't you glad he didn't stop loving you because you failed him? And the sad thing is, far too often we fail him. Yet no matter how many times we fail him, he will never stop loving us. That's a wonderful thing to know. We have peace knowing that nothing can separate us. His love is unconditional. It doesn't matter who we are. Our ethnicity makes no difference to God. He loves all people everywhere. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his own begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter where we are. God loves us here in First Baptist in Easton. He loves people all across America. He loves people in the far-off lands of the world. He loves the people in the jungle. He loves the people in the city. Doesn't matter where you are, God loves you. So it doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter where we are. Doesn't matter how we are, whether we're healthy or sick. Doesn't matter. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Doesn't matter how we look. Hmm? You know, sometimes there we, we have our prejudices about different people and maybe the color of their skin or maybe, uh, you know, there's some people are prejudiced against fat people. I take umbrage at that. Really, but some people have a problem with skinny people. Some people, as I say, color of the skin. Some people have issues with red-haired people or, or all kinds of issues. God, God doesn't have any of that. It's a wonderful thing to have the peace of God knowing that he loves me and he'll not stop loving me. You know, you can go 
to be alone in the most remote place on earth, and God's still going to love you. So we, number one, we know the joy of salvation. Number two, we know about the peace of God. And then number three, we know about the possessing of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing this is. You see, we, we read in the Bible and we learn that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. If you're a believer here this morning, when I say that, I'm talking about has there been a time in your life where you got saved and you trusted Christ as your personal Savior? If you've done that, at the instant of your salvation, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13, at that instant when you opened your heart to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in and is living inside of you. I think that's a wonderful truth. Now, it can also be a very uh, uh, condemning truth, if you will, or convincing truth that I need to live right and do right because the Holy Spirit's living inside of me. I, my body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit according to the Scriptures. Now, we have a beautiful church building. How many of you would, would agree we have a beautiful church building? Raise your hand. We do, and I thank God for it. But listen, this isn't where God dwells. He doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells in the hearts of his people. And so we have the joy, and, and the unsaved, have, they have no idea. They can't comprehend. They, they can't experience the joy of knowing I have the Holy Spirit living within me, and every believer has that joy. Our body is the temple. Let me remind you, if you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then you're none of his. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 tells us that. And then because we have the Holy Spirit, we have what Jesus called a comforter. He said he had to go away. He said, but I will send you another comforter. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He's our paraclete. That's the Greek word for comforter. He's called alongside to help us. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit because Jesus now has ascended into heaven, but he didn't want us to be comfortless or without help. So he gives us the Holy Spirit, and he's to be our guide. The Holy Spirit wants to guide your life. You know, our problem is too often we won't let him. Oh, my. Too often he speaks to us and convinces us and convicts us and tries to lead us, and we turn a deaf ear to him. And sometimes we flat out deny him. Boy, it got quiet now. But listen, the Holy Spirit wants to help us. Uh, that's what he's here for. And the, the best thing for us to do is learn to listen to his voice and follow him. He's our comforter. He wants to guide us into all truth. He wants to guide the steps of our life. He wants to give us godly wisdom and direction. He's our comforter, our encourager. He ministers to us inwardly in trying times and difficult times and the hard times. It's the Holy Spirit that brings peace to our heart. Listen, the unsaved know nothing about that. The Holy Spirit is not just our comforter, but the Holy Spirit is our convictor. Uh-oh. How many of you have ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit of a sin in your life? Hold up your hand. Then you know what I'm talking about. Nobody has to come to you and confront you. I think about David. You know, when David got in that sin with Bathsheba and, uh, and uh, he committed adultery and then he had her husband killed and, and he lied and, and, and all that mess David got into. 
He wouldn't come. He wouldn't confess. He wouldn't come to the Lord. But one day God sent the prophet Nathaniel to him, and he put his finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. And David got right. But listen, we don't, we don't, we don't need a Nathan to come to us. We have the Holy Spirit that tells us when we've done wrong. You know, when you've sinned against the Lord and you feel that down in here, that's him telling you and reminding you. You know, a lot of times we don't want to admit our sin. Hmm? We try to cover it up and we try to excuse it. And we do everything we can not to admit that I've sinned against God. But the Holy Spirit won't let us forget. He reminds us, and what's his purpose in reminding us? To bring us to repentance. See, when we've got sin, ongoing sin in our life, we're out of fellowship with God, and that's not how God wants it to be. He wants us to be in fellowship. So the Holy Spirit now convinces us, uh, convicts us that we, we might get right with God and get back in a right relationship with him. I ask how many of you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and folks all over this room held up your hand. <clears throat> you also know this by experience, that the convicting of the Holy Spirit is not a pleasant thing. It's painful. It hurts when the Holy Spirit is dealing with our heart and, and bringing to our remembrance and making us understand and seeing our sin for what it really is. That's not a pleasurable experience, but I thank God for it. One of the great blessings of being convicted by the Holy Spirit about your sin is it's a reminder that you're a saved person. The only thing the, the Holy Spirit will convict an unsaved person about is the fact that they need to get saved. But for believers, we're already saved, so when he convicts us, it's about how we're living. When you're living a life that's going the opposite direction from the Lord, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and try to get you turned around. I'm glad the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and I'm glad he's our convictor, but I want you to understand the unsaved are on their own. The unsaved world doesn't have anybody to convict them. They have to make up their own mind what's right and what's wrong. That's why we have so much wrong being done in the world. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, it says two different places this statement and it's so, so indicative, it's so revealing of what we're living in today. It said, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's where we're living today. You know, we've got the homosexual crowd running around saying it's okay to be a homosexual. Well, they can say that all they want, but God still says it's not okay. He says it's an abomination. Now, I don't hate homosexual people, and you shouldn't hate homosexual people. God don't hate homosexual people. But I hate the sin. I, I see what it's done to societies in the past, and I see that that's what it'll do to our society if we let it prosper like it is. Transgenderism, all that, that sexual mess of today, that's every man doing what's right in his own eyes. Uh, every man deciding for himself what's right and what's wrong. I don't decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. I go back to the Bible and I say, what's the book say? This, this, is, this is 
where I get my rules for life. Whether I'm, I'm in agreement or whether I'm keeping those rules or not, doesn't matter. These are still the rules of life. We have the abortion crowd. And of course, they say that, you know, that's, that's not murder. That's just doing away with tissue. No, that's killing a life. Hmm? Somebody said, I think I saw it on a computer, abortion is a case where a baby suffers the penalty for somebody else's sin. I think that's so true. But women who have abortions have convinced themselves, it's my right to do what I want with my body. They're doing what they think is right. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't care that God says that's murder. Listen, I'm glad I have the Holy Spirit to help me and to help me to know what direction to go, what to do, what not to do. Hmm. And then I put this up already. What else do we know that the unsaved cannot know? How about the power of prayer? We have access to God in our prayers. James 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Go over to Hebrews, if you will, chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Look at verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Believers have access to God through prayer. We can approach God. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the account of Jesus' crucifixion, and the Bible declares to us at the instant Jesus gave up the ghost, the, the veil in the temple that separated the Jews from the holiest of holies. They, in essence, it separated Jews from God. They couldn't go into the presence of God. When Jesus was crucified at the instant of his death, that veil in the temple was torn or rent from the top to the bottom, uh, giving, uh, indicating we're giving access to the throne of grace to God. Now every one of us has access to God, and we get there through prayer. The unsaved have no idea what real prayer really is. They know nothing of the power of prayer. For the unsaved, prayers are nothing but vain repetitions. Many times they're read right off a card or out of a book. For the unsaved, many of them pray uh, improper type prayers. They pray to Mary. Listen, friend, Mary, Mary can't intercede for you. We understand that. But they're taught that Mary will intercede for you and go to Jesus on your behalf. No, she can't. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He, he is our access to the Father. And we come in his name when we come. They pray to Mary. They pray to the saints. How about the Muslims uh, who pray five times a day to Allah? Those prayers go no further than the ceiling. The unsaved know nothing of the power of prayer. And here's the fact. Most unsaved people don't pray. 
I'll say that again. Most unsaved people don't pray. They have no hope of getting their prayer answered, so they don't bother, so to speak. But you know, I've learned this. God answers all prayers that we offer. You say, well, I ask him, I haven't received an answer. Well, it's yes, no, or wait. The wait part is the hard part. We struggle with that. It's one thing when God says yes and we rejoice. It's another thing when God says no and we're sad. But it's when God's not, not answering and we're wondering, is he going to say yes or no? That's the hard part. But don't give up. Remember, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Just keep praying. Jesus gave a parable over in Luke chapter 18 that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Why worry when you can pray? I thought about people who see the answers to God's prayers. And you know, you, I read uh, some of the diary of George Mueller. Now, if you don't know him, he was a man over in London, England, who got under conviction about starting orphanages for the wastes of the street in old city London back in the 1800s. He didn't have any money. He didn't own any building. But he wanted to start an orphanage, so he began to pray. And I don't know exactly how many orphanages he ended up opening, but he did it all by faith in prayer. And in his journal, he tells about days when he would have no food for the children. And they, he, he would get, he'd tell them, gather around the breakfast table. He didn't have anything for them to eat. And he would offer up a prayer and remind the Lord that we're here and we're hungry and we need food. And, and he tells how so many times there'd be a knock on the door. It might be the baker down the street. We made too much bread yesterday. Can you use some? Or it might be the fellow at the meat market. We overbought our meat supply. Can you use some? Sometimes it was, it was other people supplying their need, but it was all in response to prayer. How many of you have ever had God answer a prayer? Don't you feel bad for the unsaved who will never know that? And we have that opportunity to be in touch with God and to ask him something, and he hears us. I'm always amazed when he answers my prayers. I shouldn't be because he said he would. But I'm always amazed that he would hear me, little old me, insignificant me. I'm just one of seven billion people here. Amen? But God heard my prayer. Boy, you ever want to get a real blessing? Pray in the morning for something and have God answer it before the night. Yeah, and you realize he, he's hearing me. And he's answering my prayers. Boy, the unsaved will never have opportunity to know that. And then the unsaved will never have the opportunity to know the changed life of a believer. What do you want, all the notes? <laughs> I usually just put the big points up. The changed life of a believer. Unsaved people will never know the joy of having your life changed by God. If you're saved here today, you know what God did for you. You know how God has changed your life. 
I'm glad that God saved me and changed my life. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go back to the life I had before. The life I'm living now is so much better than what I ever had. And listen, I tasted of what the world has to offer, and I found out it has nothing. Not compared to the Christian life. But the unsaved will never know it. They'll never know the, 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 the idea of knowing our sins uh, are, have been forsaken, that God's allowed us to have victory over our sins. You realize a lot of unsaved people are, are in slavery to different sins? Take, for instance, somebody hooked on tobacco. They're a slave to that sin. They have to have that. Uh, somebody on drugs, somebody who's an alcoholic, they have to have that. They're enslaved by it. Uh, let me throw this out there. Pornography. And let me remind you that por porno is addictive. It's just as addictive as drugs or tobacco or anything else of that nature. It'll get a hold of you and... and cause you to need more and more and take you places and have you doing things you wouldn't normally do because you become a slave to it. Persons who saved has a different life now. They have a new disposition and a new outlook. We don't, we don't look at things the same as the unsaved do. They see everything as you got to get the, all the gusto out of life you can get because we only go around once. We don't believe that. We have this life, but then when we leave here, we have another life waiting us. And let me remind you, it's going to be far better than this life ever is. We were talking about it in Sunday school. We're going to a place where there's no more sickness or pain or sorrow or separation and no sin. How many of you fight the battle of sin? In heaven, we won't have to do that. The tempter will be gone. He's going to be, he's going to be suffering in the lake of fire forever and ever. He'll get his due, but we'll be in a sinless uh, place in heaven. I believe heaven's going to be a perfect place, just like the garden was a perfect place when God created it. And I believe we're going we're gonna to live there like Adam and Eve lived in the garden and had a life. But it's going to be a different life. No negatives at all. Everything will be positive and thank the Lord. When you have a changed life, you have forsaken sins, you have a different disposition and a different outlook, and then you have a new love for fellow believers. If you're really saved, you enjoy being around other saved people. You like to get around people who talk about the Bible and talk about Jesus and talk about going to heaven. You like to be around people who share the gospel. That's a changed life of the believer. And God's the one that does that. How about that new desire you have to do right? The unsaved have a desire to do wrong. They're tempted to do the wrong things. 
Now, we're tempted with doing wrong, but we're also delighted in that we're led to do the right things. And thank the Lord. The unsaved, they have their, their problem. We're now new creatures, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new. We can now walk in the newness of life. You realize the unsaved wish they could change, but they can't. That's why we have drug rehabs. People want to change, and they go to these drug rehabs, and some of them get victory, some of them don't. But we can have the newness of life, and we can have victory over things that, that we are slaves to. Thank the Lord we sang that song, Victory in Jesus. I like that song. Because Jesus wants us to have the victory. The unsaved wish they could change, but they can't, and they're trapped. They're unable to change their disposition and outlook. They're unable to change their self-centered uh, view. Uh, they don't care about other people. They care about me. Me first is their cry. And that's become so prevalent in America. It's all about me. Doesn't matter what what something will do to society or what something will do to other people. It's all about me. Me first. The unsaved often are envious of believers and the changed life of believers. We can know the changed life. And if you're saved, you do know the changed life. But don't forget, the unsaved know nothing about that. That's why they think you're weird. Yeah, that's why they, they, they think there's something wrong with you mentally. You're always talking about Jesus. You're always happy. You're always uh, just praying. And, and you go to church. My goodness, you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Some of you do. You ought to. Amen. I remember when I was working at that can company and somebody found out I tithed. I not only went to church. Gilmore not only goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He gives 10% of everything he makes to the church. It's spread like wildfire. And somebody asked me, do you really do that? I said, well, sure I do. That's what I'm supposed to do. But they don't understand that. Oh, you're crazy. They don't know the benefits of tithing. If they did, they wouldn't say I was crazy. See, I think people are crazy if they don't tithe. Amen? They're missing out on all the benefits. And then something else we know that they'll never know. The future. They run to these people that read tarot cards, and they run to palm readers, and they look at their horoscope, and they're trying to find out what's the future hold. We already know. The next big event on God's calendar is the rapture. We talked about it in Sunday school. He's going to come and take us out of here. If you're a saved person, uh, it could be today that Jesus will come and take us right out of this world. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that quick, we're gone. The rapture. We know that's, that's the next thing that's going to happen. And then how about this? The seven-year tribulation period. 
once the rapture happens, now the tribulation starts. And this is when God pours out his wrath on this world. It's going to be a horrible, horrible time. Antichrist is going to be in charge. You can imagine how terrible it's going to be if he's in charge. But we know that's going to happen. They have no idea. How about the Battle of Armageddon? When all the powers of the world come against Israel and Jesus comes and he's the one that fights the battle. Uh, we're coming with him when he comes back. But he's coming on that white horse and he is going to just speak and destroy all the armies of the world. And then he's going to set up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And the devil's going to be chained in the pit for a thousand years. And this earth is going to be like, uh, like it was before Adam and Eve fell. It's going to be a perfect dwelling place. And then the final judgment. The unsaved have no idea of what they're going to have to face. They think that somehow God's going to accept them. You know, they've been good people. They've done good works. They went to church. All these kind of things they did. And they think when they stand before God, he's going to let them into heaven. I got news. There is only one way to heaven. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We try to tell them about there's a judgment day coming where you'll have to give an account for your sin. But they don't want to listen. They want to try to get to heaven their own way and it'll never work. But we know there's a coming judgment. And can I just share this with you? I'm going to anyway. Because we know about the coming judgment, it should stir us to be more effective and more desirous to be witnesses for the Lord. When we see other people who aren't saved, it ought to burden us that somebody needs to tell them about Jesus. Because if they don't come to him, they're going to be cast into that lake of fire to suffer torment forever and ever and ever. That's what awaits them. Hey, these are all things we can know that they don't know. We've been blessed, the events of the future. We know there's a great white throne judgment coming. We need to warn them. I just want you to see this morning as believers, we are possessors of some very privileged information. We know a lot of things the unsaved will never know unless they come to Christ. This truth ought to move each one of us. And we need to make two decisions, I believe, here today. Number one, if you're a believer, this, this thing that we know things that they never know, we ought to be moved to have a different attitude towards the lost. They're the way they are because they're not saved. Sometimes we're critical of the lost. Sometimes we don't want to have anything to do with them, etc. But... Listen, understand why they're like they were. They're like you were before you got saved. The difference is you came to Christ. And so we, we ought to have a burden to want to tell them. And then if you're here and you're unsaved, you ought to be moved to come to Christ and have some of these blessings we talked about this morning. I'm glad I'm saved. As I said, I wouldn't go back to being unsaved for anything. And I'm glad God's let me know some things that the unsaved don't know. 
but I want to share it with them. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. First question this morning is, are you saved? Have you come to Christ? And do you know those things we talked about knowing because we're saved? If you're saved this morning, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Would you raise your hand? Put it down. If you could not raise your hand, will you listen to me for just a minute? Listen, we're not trying to get you to join a church, and we're not trying to make you a Baptist. We're trying to keep you out of hell. Because if you die without Jesus, that's where you're going to spend eternity, forever and ever and ever, suffering with no relief. That's what the Bible teaches. God don't want that for you, and we certainly don't want it for you. But the only way to change it is to get saved. The only way to change it is to open your heart to Jesus Christ and accept him and what he did for you to keep you out of hell and to get you into heaven. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there someone here today say, Preacher, you're talking about me. I need to get saved. I don't want to burn in that lake of fire forever and ever. I want Jesus to save me. And God's speaking to my heart about it right now. I'm willing to admit I need to be saved and want to be saved. Here's my hand. Would you slip it up right now while nobody but me is looking? I need to be saved and I want to be saved today, preacher. Believer, have you ever thought about all the things you know that the unsaved will never know? And Shouldn't it stir us to want to tell more people about Jesus than we've ever told before? I wonder how many would say this morning, Preacher, God's burdened my heart for unsaved people today. I'm glad I know what I know, but God has stirred me to realize the unsaved don't know what I know, but they need to. And God's burdening me to be a more ardent, a more diligent witness for the Lord Jesus Christ that others may come to know these blessings that I know. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Privileged information. Only saved people can know what we talked about this morning. Let's stand together. 485 in your songbook.